Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Uh, okay. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Are recording. Hello, everybody. Hello and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin, here as always with my sidekick friend and producer, Miguel. Hey everyone, I just want to say thank you for listening to our show. Many of you have written in very, very awesome feedback and comments over the last few months, um, and it just makes all the difference in the world. We're producing this show because you guys keep listening to it, and uh, we hope it's just as meaningful you uh, to listen to as it is for us to make. Agreed. We love it. And I could not be more thrilled than to introduce today to you uh, Ken Gehring of Thermostore. He is the Professor Emeritus of Thermostore. And he is in, I believe you're in Madison, Wisconsin currently. Is that right, Ken? Yes, I am. Yeah. And so just sit back and relax, everybody. And you too, Ken. We're just going to have a conversation about keeping air dry, which is a big component in keeping air healthy. And I just actually got my new book called Healthy Buildings by Joe Allen. And right in here, front cover, by the time you reach 80, you will have spent 72 years of your life indoors. Like it or not, humans have become an indoor species. This means that people who design, build, and maintain our buildings have a major impact on our health. So there you go. Architects, builders, HVAC installers, you have become health professionals. And we'll, we'll move into that a little. But first, a story. Ken is, as I said, the Ken Gehring, Professor Emeritus of Thermostore. And I would like, Ken, if you're willing, to tell me the story about how little Kenny Gehring got started. <laughs> well, I, I was never little Kenny Gehring. <laughs> <laughs> I was born 11 pounders, so. Oh, my goodness. My mother's first one, 11 wow. pounds. I got it's... the scars on my neck. To prove it. Wow, that's a I big I said, Ma, kid. what happened on my neck? She said, well, that's when you were born. The doc- I couldn't get you out, so the doctor had to go in with the forceps. Now, I know you don't want to go back that far with my story, but so I'm going <laughs> to jump ahead a few years. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's, let's go. But did she call you Ken right from the start? <laughs> I think that's the only thing I ever remember. Well, she called me a bastard a couple times, but uh, she was just kidding. She was mad. It was a momentary thing. It passed. She said she loved me after that was over. (laughs) Oh, good. So Thermostore, it came out of something about, didn't you tell me it was something about like the fact that cow milk comes out at roughly the temperature of the cow's insides and that heat was valuable somehow? It came out of uh, cooling milk on the farm, actually. I mean, that was, uh, I was a product manager of the the milk cooling part of the dairy equipment company. And so we cooled milk, and uh, it was happened to be in the energy crunch about 1976 or so. And uh, the line started to form at the gas stations, and energy went through the roof. And any ideas uh, on how to save energy on the farm, you know, make uh, cooling and this whole process more efficient? The industry, actually in England, is where we're, this first came about. And we had a plant in England. And in England, they were ahead of us a little bit. They started uh, heating water 
uh, off of milk cooling. So in <laughs> other words, you take the heat out of the milk, you blow it off into the air, it kept the milk house warm and it blew outside. And so the, uh, our English division uh, added a heat exchanger that would make hot water off that heat. And so uh, we took that on to another level where we turned it into the water heater uh, on the farm. Uh, and that worked out well. We got rebates for it. I remember the first wow. uh, rebates were like uh, $650 a unit. And every state paid them. And uh, then uh, a couple of our contractors that were selling to the dairy equipment industry uh, also did commercial, and they started to use them on commercial wow. sites. And so that caught on, and uh, we established a division that did nothing but sell commercial. And then, in fact, yet to this day, all the major grocery stores in the United States use our water heater as their water heater. Wow. So we build... We build thousands of them a year. We, we've built as many as 5,000 a year when the uh, grocery store and dairy farms were at their peak. 5,000 water heater tanks uh, in a year. And that replaced natural gas. So in other words, wow. there, there is no natural gas uh, water heaters in grocery stores anymore. Huh. It comes off the refrigeration, the freezers mostly. The waste we'll heat. All, yeah, the waste heat from a freezer will uh, make all the hot water they need. And they'll put like uh, two to four tanks in the, in the equipment room and make their hot water. And we put a little backup heating element in the top of each one. So if something goes wrong or they need extra water, that heating element will top it off if right. it needs to be. So that was a, that was a real success story. And uh, so yeah. then as that went on, uh, we formed Thermostore to market totally independent of our dealer organization uh, in the dairy equipment business. And uh, all the major wholesalers yet to this day are selling our tank, which we make here, have it on stock. So, uh, but wow. a takeoff was the, the Danes, uh, the Swedes actually, took the idea of let's uh, heat water for the house. Right. Uh, and let's use exhaust air. They were using exhaust ventilation as their primary uh, ventilation, they were using air-to-air -air heat exchangers too, of mm -hmm, course. Mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. is back in about the early 80s. I went over to Sweden and spent a little time with them and saw just exactly what they were doing. So we came back and made a ventilating uh, heat pump water heater. So we added a compressor, a small air conditioning coil, and put the uh, heat off the compressor to the water tank, just like we do on a milk, uh, milk cooler or a dairy farm and uh, worked well. Uh, the problem with them was that you had to sell them for $2,000. <laughs> in 1982 uh, was, uh, or something. Uh, water heaters were going for about 400 you know. Right. And uh, if you ever had a service call on them, guys would go out and look at them by the time they were done looking them all over and trying <laughs> to figure out how to fix them. It cost you about the price of a new water heater. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, a regular electric water heater. Given rebates, uh, rebates would run up to a thousand bucks. Many states, uh, state of Washington, state of Oregon, uh, they really got into the program, forced the utilities to promote them, and then the energy crunch come to an end, and everything uh, lost all the incentives, and uh, just couldn't keep it going without the incentive program in place. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, 
But the uh, heat recovery tanks, they lost the incentive too, but they were so solid. They actually figured out how to put a, uh, one of these energy recovery devices in as cheap as they put a regular water heater in. Wow. Didn't, didn't get an incentive, didn't need one. Solar never metered in the grocery store industry because they had free water. Right. You know, and they, they did it a lot water. cheaper than they could ever do with solar panels. Yeah. So uh, that uh, went on. Uh, incentive goes away. There's a need for ventilation. Uh, certainly we found out that uh, with the heat pump water heater, one of the things we do in the summertime in a green grass climate, we would reverse the flow. Instead of exhausting the air out of the house and uh, pulling the heat out of it to make hot water, right. we'd bring it in from outside and pull the water out of it, cool it, and blow it into the house yeah. to heat hot water. Right. And you just flip a switch. We, we made some models that were fully automatic. They'd automatically switch over, mm -hmm. bring it in or out, depending on what your needs were. We also were recovering a little heat and doing some space heating with them. So it got pretty elaborate. So into that world, That's awesome. uh, we did learn, uh, I'm trying to think of the defining moment I was at some conference someplace uh, extolling the benefits of uh, ventilation, and uh, we had uh, we had after we lost our incentives, we had gotten it down just to a fan moving air, and we started out with a fan exhausting air, right? You know, routed to all the bathrooms, wherever, even the kitchen, and we blow it out, and controls to do it all. Well. Uh, we're at a conference, an indoor air quality conference, and uh, there's a professor, uh, Thad Goddish, I'll never forget him. Wow. He, he's given the presentation. I'm sitting in the front row with my gang, we're beaming. And he says, oh, tell me about what you guys do. And so I told him, he said, you're gonna kill these people. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you can't be uh, sucking outside air into a house in the summertime. <laughs> I said, we well, gotta have fresh air. He said, yeah, you do. He said, but they're gonna end up with a moldy, uh, dust mite infested hole in a, you know, that these people are gonna have to crawl into to live. Uh, you can't change air like that in a house. Well, I went back home with that arrow in my back <laughs> and uh, thought, well, what the, how the hell can we change this around? I, I had done some other stuff on ventilation where we'd figured out how to get heat to move through a cooling coil. We put two streams in a cooling coil and one of them would uh, exhaust and one would bring in. And we could get the heat to move back and forth the way we wanted to through this stream of refrigerant. So uh, I had a patent on that and uh, we come up with the idea uh, by just changing that, we could make a super dehumidifier. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I got a patent on it called a revaporator. And uh, a evaporator was a device that you would take air in and out of a house uh, and uh, you could uh, dry it or heat it, whatever you wanted to do. You could have it freestanding as a dehumidifier and the efficiency by using the cold air that came off this refrigeration process to pre-cool the incoming air that you wanted to dry, you could double the capacity of a dehumidifier versus uh, an air conditioner or a conventional dehumidifier the way we know them today. Right. So we, we were, uh, normal air conditioning pulls uh, water out of uh, uh, air at about, 
a kilowatt, you get about two pounds of water. Mm-hmm. With an air conditioner or a dehumidifier, they all work about the same. Uh, we could go, we jumped that up to uh, five. So we, we could, we more than doubled the capacity per kilowatt of a normal dehumidifier. And that's a pre, yeah. using a pre-cooler with the waste cold air? It's figuring out to take that cold air, a lot of ways of doing it, uh, not a lot of ways, but a few ways of doing it, that you can take that cold air coming off that coil and run the, get the heat uh, to move from the incoming air that's headed for the coil into that exhaust stream so now the air, the compressor doesn't have to do that work. Right, the cold right. air did a good bit of it. So it's, it's more like down. an HRV or something, ERV. Uh, well, it's uh, can use that principle. It's a heat transfer device that'll work. We started out using a refrigeration coil, but it turned out that we could get more capacity out of a HRV coil. Mm-hmm. So in our fancy deluxe dehumidifiers, you take them apart. There's a heat exchanger in there, just like an HRV, right? And uh, that that's the device that makes that all happen. And that's and to this day. We're up to about uh, nine pounds of water per kilowatt now in efficiency. That is which, awesome. Uh, it is awesome. Now, we, we make, uh, that takes a lot of space, big, bigger unit, more expense. So we sell cheap units. But we've gotten our cheap units, uh, our simple ones, up to five pints per kilowatt. And the fancy ones are uh, approaching ten. Right, right. So, it, it, well, we won't go into the specific products right now. Once we got that far, mm-hmm. uh, and what we year started, are we now? What, what, where are we now, roughly? Oh, this happened about uh, 1900, uh, 1990. <laughs> 1990 is when uh, got it. Uh, the medical people made this known yeah. that this moisture thing was uh, going to kill people. And we found out that. Uh, we, we got involved with allergists, and uh, uh-huh. they, uh, they made the point. Uh, the most common allergen and uh, causer of uh, asthma is dust mite fecal material. Yeah. And uh, so the problem, most homes in green grass climates have got dust mites in them, and uh, that's any place human skin scales accumulate, these mites live your bed, your carpet where you get out of bed, your favorite chair, uh, are loaded with dust mites and, produ- and produce this fecal material. And when that becomes dried, it, it gets into the air, you compress the cushion, it yeah. gets into the air, you inhale it. And some people have a sensitivity to that and gives them asthma. So uh, we uh, designed a unit that would ventilate uh, and dry the house, so I'll keep it dry. Right. Uh, now, you know, you made the point about keeping a house dry. It's really about keeping a house just right. So in other words, too dry is no good either. And some people are sensitive to that. Too wet is no good. It turns out that probably the real numbers, if you want to be safe, if you can run 30 to 40, or if you can run 40 to 50%, if you can hold a house in that range, that's the ideal comfort Winter comfort is 40, summer comfort certainly less than 55% uh, percent relative humidity, and you'll control mold, mildew, and dust mites, uh, biological growth, things that cause uh, odors like, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the common odor people complain about on air conditioning? Uh, 
Oh, Dirty Socks? Dirty Socks. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dirty Socks is a classic. That's, a, that's actually uh, the next thing that really could be eliminated. Uh, once you get that bacteria that generates that odor in your home, anything that stays wet for more than 24 hours will start to grow it. You've got a bucket of water sitting around with just a little organic material and look at slimy. It'll start to stink. Uh, that's dirty socks. So what the objective is, you just can't have extended wet spots. And that's challenging right. with a uh, evaporator pan, a coil. Mm-hmm. All these things got to be able to drain dry and should be, you know, they should have dry time every day to stop bacterial from growing or blowing water off into the duct and making the insulation wet. Those are all things that cause dirty sock. That, uh, that gets us probably well organized. Uh, about uh, 1995, we had a ducted dehumidifier with good filtering on it. Well, we were to the point of, hey, you could put HEPA on if you wanted. Certainly oh, Merv, uh, Merv uh, 12 or 11 was doable and we did it on all our stuff. We're currently at Merv 13 now with a, hop, with a HEPA option. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. All this filtering really though, all, all it really does uh, is keep the equipment clean. <laughs> most, most of the dirt that gets into a home is brought in by door opening, clothes, uh, your clothes on your back that you bring in dusty, uh, uh, my all dogs. these things. Yeah, and, and strong wind, when the wind really gets blowing, you know, sometimes you can see it in the air that comes right into your house through the cracks mm-hmm. and crevices, and most of it settles on the carpet. So you put a good filter on your air handler, you get a HEPA, vac- a HEPA vac- vacuum cleaner, vacuum your house thoroughly, wipe it down thoroughly, avoid uh, spots where your house is out in the prong of a wind. Right. You know, more yeah. secluded, less wind velocity on the surface of your home. But so that, and that sort of, we held that line, and we're going on that line. What uh, was that product? Do you remember the name? Was that the? Yeah, that was Ultra Air. That was our first Ultra Airs were uh, uh, 1990. 94, 95. Yeah. And what pints per day were they? Were those the 105s or the uh, 70s? They were 100s. 100 pints Our per first day. ones were 100 pints per day. And then we made, a, we made a commercial 100. We made a, a commercial 200. And then we made a line of restoration dehumidifiers, uh, right. the portables, that the, the Phoenix line. We started all about the same time. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, dehumidifiers. But that's interesting that it was 1995, and here we are 25 years later, and it's like this knowledge is still a nutrient that hasn't diffused it, through the secret. industry. Yeah, it's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> The only reason I got my job and work a little bit yet and all, a lot of these other guys are working hard because it's such a secret, so it's not all bad. Hey, so you mentioned dust mites, and I just consulted Lord Google here, and uh, they, they, every gram of dust contains a pro- about 1,000 dust mites, which is pretty intense to know. And it says each one of those produce on the order of 20 excrement pellets, so they're pooping out. And the pellets are 10 to 40 micrometers, which, the, which is phenomenally small. They're like yeah. little, uh, little vitamin D pills. Oh, yeah, lovely. 
And um, they're coated with enzymes, which we're very reactive to. And then they desiccate down into even smaller, get deep into our lungs. Yeah, yikes. Well, it's, uh, and you know, uh, in an effort to get this concept going, I remember uh, I come home from uh, that conference that uh, guy put an arrow in my back. (laughs) And I remember taking my bed and the vacuum, I had a vacuum cleaner with a good filter in it. And I vacuumed my side of the bed. <laughs> no dust mites. None. Oh, really? I went over to my wife's side. Oh, and she had some whoppers. She's standing watching me do this. I got a microscope. Oh, you know, my goodness. Good filter, good collector. Get it out, put it under the mic. Oh, <laughs> nothing. Get hers out. Holy cow, look at this one. <laughs> she looks at that. She did not sleep in that bed that night. Before I got out of the house with that, her bed was all tore apart. <laughs> She's laundering the bed. And that works, right? A little that, bit. But you that have to was take so effective. Yeah. So when I saw her reaction to this, I mean, I didn't give her any pitch at all. I mean, I'm just, this is working. I'll mind if I do this and I'll go ahead. And uh, when I saw that reaction, I said, hey, I know how to sell this stuff now. <laughs> and uh, we got in bed with the uh, allergist. I'm uh, raising dust mites. I took that sample to work and uh, set up a couple colonies. I've, I'm growing dust mites. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I had and no for, idea. For four or five years at least. You're a dust mite the, farmer. Uh, we'd go, yeah, we were dust mite farmers. I'd go to every damn show I could get to, including uh, ASHRAE, whatever. All the, We joined the... Uh, American College of Immunology and right. whatever it was called. And there were two, there's two groups, and we joined them both. We'd go to their conferences. We got uh, quite a few of their key members really into this thing, and they really took off with it. But, you know, the reality, the end of the story was if a, uh allergist can't put it in a bottle and give you a pill or put it in a surge and give you a shot, he can't make it go. It's too complicated. You know, there's too much involved for an allergist to talk people uh, into uh, keeping their house dry and fresh air. You see, we had a two-pronged approach there. And we could get the crap out of their houses, Uh which when we got into that, when I saw how bad the houses were, I remember uh, buying a, at the time it was big bucks, I bought a fancy meter from Japan that could measure all this stuff and, it was thousands of dollars, and uh, I, uh, the allergists were giving us leads. We were getting quite a bit of action on uh, the allergists part of it, and I went out to a, uh, to a home where the wife was very sick and uh, very sensitive. She had the, what do they call the, this syndrome that they get in their house when they're sick. Sick building syndrome? It. What's that? It's not sick building syndrome or something. Yes, yes, okay. yeah, that's what it is. And they, uh, so you've got to get them straight now. They just get, they get almost deathly ill in their homes. Yeah. So you've got to go out, and sometimes what they'll do is they'll build or take a section and gut it and put that person in that space. You go with fantastic ventilation. You go with ideal humidity control, all those things. Right. But anyway, so I'm out diagnosing a house find out what's wrong with it, and I'm finding the same old thing, high humidity, dust mites, plenty of mold. I, I come out and I put my stuff away, and I'm going down the road, and I'm thinking, God, 
where's my meter? I went back, I, went, I got out, and I remember putting it on the top of my car. I had a station wagon oh. with all the rails up there. <laughs> and uh, I went out, and uh, it's not there. I turned around and went back. About halfway out of the little town I was out, I saw my debris trail where the meter had flew off the top of the car. Oh, went no. Went down onto the blacktop and sprayed off <laughs> into, into the ditch. Oh, I'm no. gathering up all the pieces. You know, I'm starting to think, this is a lot of work. Yeah. You get to sell one installation, and at least the little damn thing that goes wrong, you're right out there back in it again. you you got to really <laughs> solve the problem because you got yeah. people that are going to the emergency room. You know, the number one emergency person is a person with allergy problems that can't breathe. Yeah. That's the number one call in, a, in, uh, in green grass climates like Madison here. Really? Yeah, wow. I, and I didn't realize it, but that's a lot of stuff, you know. I'm thinking, oh, we really got something here. Yeah. But, you know, the, the allergy trade, it was just so damn much work. We still have people do it, but I don't do it. I never bought another fancy meter like that, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I'm really touched by what you said about, I mean, touched, but, like, kind of disappointed, that, oh, if you can't put it in a pill or a shot, they're not interested. And well, it's they can't do it. I, I mean, uh how does an allergist uh, take a family and tell them that uh, they got to go get a mechanical contractor to put a dehumidifier in their house? I mean, just uh, tell them. Why not? If it's yeah, real, you can it's tell true them about one out of ten, or they got to really be deathly ill and loved by whoever concerns controls the purse strings, or they're never going to get a. At that time, we had to get five, six thousand dollars for a dehumidifier installed, ducted by a contractor. He'd take top margins, all the stuff, you know, that that was a five, $6,000 deal. Well, most people couldn't afford it. The insurance didn't pay it. Uh, we were working on that part of it. But again, you know, just so much stuff. And our uh, the rest of our dehumidifier business is going crazy. You know, the, the restoration dehumidifiers, commercial drying for water damage and stuff like that, we couldn't make enough of them. Uh, commercially water treatment plants. A lot of commercial sites need a real good dehumidifier. We're booming. We're, we're building all the stuff we can. So how much work you want to do? Now the residential thing stayed alive. Florida, green grass climates, moldy ceilings, you know all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, bringing it back. On. But that's a slow hard road back, but that's going someplace. And uh, actually uh, you know, the people that, as an example, April Air, I'm just saying the April Air, they're neighbors of ours here. I know the guys well. I say, hey, you guys, let us make you a dehumidifier. You make humidifiers, do the other part of it. We talk them into it, ended up losing the contract over 50 bucks. They went to some off-brand company to make it over 50 bucks. But we talked them into it. We talked Honeywell into it. We got a lot of people to go on it. They were all disappointed once they got into it. And, uh, they you mean disappointed was, by sales, lack yeah, of sales? Yeah, so hard to sell. You know, the same thing that we were disappointed with. Yeah, well, wait, let's stay here for a minute because like, one of the things we talked about when we, when we were doing the pre, pre-conversation was Henry Ford's famous quote about, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And what, what's at the heart of that is like, you have an issue that you would like resolved, but you're only willing to accept solutions in certain forms, like I'll take a pill or a shot, oh, but not... You want to do it with what you know and trust. You don't want some magic box. 
Yeah. Put, you can put wheels on a magic box and call it a car. The guy's thinking, that thing will never go where this horse goes, you know. I want a faster horse, yeah. Okay. So it's, uh, I can understand it now. Yeah. You've been there. But at the same time, it's, you know, like here we are during COVID, like whether we should wear masks or not, it's kind of like, or, or whatever, what social distancing measures are reasonable. Right. We are, we're kind of evaluating, well, what are, the, what are we supposed to do and what am I willing to do? And they're not the same thing. Exactly things. the same problem, really. Yeah, it really is. Like, what, what, in what form will I accept my solution? Well, it, it's, a, it's a lack of sure knowledge, you know what I mean, uh, and acceptance, you know. That's lack the, of sure knowledge. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, accepting it, well, that's the way you do it. Once you get to that's the way you do it, it's hard to get people off of that, even though there's a better way of doing it, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. You know, what is the air conditioning trade? Instead of just coming with a dehumidifier and a uh, simple little device glues you on, they got to go two-speed, multi-speed, complicated, and it don't work anyway. It's better, but it don't solve the problem. You know, that's like that's like fixing it with what you know, not what right. the I'm ultimate I'm holding a hammer, is. and even though it's a screw, yeah. Yeah, right. It's all the same. It's all the same proposition. I think that's a good that's a good time to for us to move. It's a good opportunity for us to move into, uh, you know, what is the problem? Like we we in our in, in our society we use the term air conditioning, right. and air conditioning doesn't just mean air cooling, but sometimes they're considered equivalent. Let, let me give you a, let me give you my view of that. I think I got Please. a good simple view of how this goes. Oh, good. Uh, they have gotten air conditioning down to the point where you can buy the equipment to put an air conditioner on a house for fifteen hundred dollars. Whoa. And if a guy's willing to, you know, I want to get started in the business, I'm willing to work for little or nothing to get established, he'll probably stick it in and it'll cost uh, $2,500, $3,000. He's got an air conditioner oh my that he'll put in a house. Okay. He comes out there with this box full of stuff. He maybe was a tech for some other air conditioning contractor. That's usually where they come from. They bring all this stuff out there. They hook it all up. They turn it on. They cross their fingers. And they say to the guy, how do you like it? He said, well, you know, uh, it's a lot better than it was, and uh, I find it acceptable. Uh, that's one guy, probably the most of them. Okay. On the other end of it, I don't like this. I feel cold and clammy. Uh, you've got to make this better, whatever. So you see that it's better. Most people accept it. But the finer points of this thing, my house is damp mm. or have a musty odor coming off this thing right. whatever so the first thing you got to do when you uh, put an air conditioner in a house if it's going to work right you got to make you got to adjust it you got to make it work on that house that means you have to adjust the airflow over the coil to get the right moisture removal mm -hmm. by accident most of them work well enough that the people are happy <laughs> and the AC contractor never even learns to deal with it. Right. Now, if you're a professional AC contractor and you ain't going to tolerate unhappy people, the minute you find somebody that don't like what you do, you're on it. You're going to figure it out, and by God, it ain't going to happen again, and that guy's going to be happy. I'll give him his money back, you know, that, right. that kind of thing. Now, he goes out there. He calls up the factory and says, hey, this thing is not working right. The factory guy comes out and says, well, yeah, you got too much air going over the coil. It ain't taking out much water. It's getting the place cold before it gets it dry, wet and clammy. Cold enough, but not dry enough. 
Right. Here's what you got to do. You got to slow the airflow down. You got to get this thing working so that it takes out water. When it gets to run an hour or two, the house is the temperature you want and the humidity you want. That's a big part missing in the air conditioning trade today. I, I, I discovered this the hard way. Yeah. Guy calls up, he's got a cold, clammy house, not happy with the humidity. I want to buy a dehumidifier. You betcha, we got it. We ship it out, your AC guy can hook this up. Guy calls back and says, you know, it didn't fix the problem. Oh my goodness. The house is just as wet as it was before. It does get my house dry when the air conditioner is off and it's rainy for a couple of days. My house is okay. But boy, when that air conditioner runs, I got a wet house. Whoa. Yeah, that, so there's the finer points of this. So first of all, that AC never did work right. <laughs> so when I talk to people about humidity control in your house, I say this, you gotta get that air conditioner working so on a hot day, you got a dry house. Right. That's the first thing. A dehumidifier will not take an air conditioner that doesn't keep a house dry and make it dry unless you make it two or three times bigger than what it needs to be. So right, it's a supplemental dehumidification it's supplemental system. dehumidification. Mm -hmm. And a, an air conditioner will take out about uh, two, three pounds of water a ton of capacity. Well, you got a three-ton air conditioner. That's 10 pounds of water an hour. You know, if it runs for 12 hours, figure it out. That is one heck of a bunch of water. That house will be dry when that air conditioner is running if it's all set up right and working properly. Yeah. Okay. But there's also enclosure issues, you know, is it? That can be. Can be duct leakage. There's a thousand things that can be. Absolutely. But you've got to fix that stuff first. Yeah. Now you come and along. And that's even you, harder. <laughs> okay. Keep well, going. it's the concept that uh, you take an uh, air conditioner and a dehumidifier and put them together. They both got to work in concert to take that water down. Mm -hmm. So when the air conditioner runs, it does the job. The dehumidifier shuts off all by itself, because the house is down below 50. Right. Uh, when it shuts off, the humidity starts coming up, the air, the dehumidifier kicks in and starts taking out water and putting a little heat back in, may cycle the air conditioner, and now you've got something that works together and keeps the house dry. So that, that is the, that's the first big lesson, is that combination. And then the other one is how to install, how to made up a dehumidifier in an air conditioner on a house so that you get dry air throughout the house uh, and uh, they work together. The dehumidifier and the air conditioner, you take the dry air off of a dehumidifier and blow it into the return of a air conditioner. No. That darn air conditioner <laughs> gets drier air and guess what? No more water comes out than if you just ran the air conditioner by itself. Yeah, exactly. So you got to figure out how, how do you do that? Well, you got to put that dry air downstream of that uh, air conditioner supply so they don't fight with each other. Yeah. The, then the other big bugaboo is fresh air. My is, I have a leaky house, so I don't need fresh air. Well, let me tell you a little story. You okay. have a leaky house when the wind blows. Yeah. When it's dead, and you have a leaky house when there's strong stack effect. Mm-hmm. You put a 20-mile-an-hour wind on a foam house, it's got plenty of fresh air. I don't need ventilation in the middle of winter. Uh, plenty of fresh air. Just stop ventilating. You're just overdo overdoing it. But you go in the summertime, take the stack effect off of a house, make a calm night. 
I don't care if you live in a leaky barn, you're not getting real fresh air in that yeah. house. Mm -hmm. It all depends on how much wind, how much other stuff's going on. So that's sort of the, well, there's one more little kicker in my life. And that is, I gotta have an air to air heat exchanger because fresh air costs a lot of money. Right. If we learned how to really control fresh air when needed, we can cut the fresh air cost in half right there. Yep. By only running that uh, fresh air, air when you need fresh air, when you're occupied and when the air is stale and you're not getting change and occupied. Mm -hmm. People in it and there isn't enough wind, uh, the whatever, you need to turn on the fresh air. So we put that all together. This is a pretty simple process, nothing yeah. to it. But you know, that, and that takes us to, if you're ready for the next subject, HVAC talk. Yeah, let's go there. Yes. So first tell us that what it is. is. Could you just describe HVAC talk? Like it's Maybe a 10, 15 years ago, I ran across this blog on the, the internet that just dealt with the very problems we talk about. Mostly uh, residential, people would go and uh, uh, try to find a place on the internet where they could discuss their problems. There was, uh, you know, I can't remember the guy that started this, but he was just a, just an internet guy and into this kind of thing, and he did a little search for AC information one time and just had a hell of a time, didn't find it, was unhappy about it, and he started uh, his own website, HVAC Talk. He started it, he didn't know nothing about it. But once he got it up and running, all us guys that would stumble across it, you know, we, we, we you run a search, he had the site set up right so that you'd intercept yeah. them, and away we go. Wow, Man, who's the average was, user? The average, it's uh, a, who's on the blog? It's installing contractors? Yeah, and, and people that are unhappy with the, mainly, uh, Installing contractors that are searching for problems, but the biggest, uh, probably the biggest uh, client is the homeowner. People want to find a solution. People are convinced you can find out anything you want to know on the internet. Oh yeah, you know the kind of guy I'm talking about. Yeah, I think I'm talking about you and me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I want to know something, I just go on the internet. Let me look it up. Can I find this on the internet? <laughs> So you found HVAC Talk, and you were just a person reading the stories for a while, or reading the Well, entries. not long. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read one. I did read one, and maybe not point back, go back in. But the minute I saw the problem, of course, I knew the answer. And, uh, you know, I, I know, I know way more about uh, HVAC than I want to tell those guys. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I know how to fix them and how to do everything on an AC. I'm a... I'm a refrigeration service man. Right. I mean, I've been there. That, that's really my background. I don't have an engineering degree. Mm -hmm. I worked my way up through the trades and worked my way into an engineering company and the dairy equipment business, and I helped the engineers. I mean, I told the engineers what we needed yeah. and then said, hey, it ain't gonna work. Reality is a good for teacher. a couple years, you end up being VP of engineering, you know, <laughs> and nobody fighting you. <laughs> the engineers say, hey, Ken, we got to talk. I got this problem here. I got a complaint. You know, the service department and the, uh, you know, they all work together and uh, yeah. we, we'll solve this. And then uh, initiating solutions and trying them and evaluating them. And I just can't tell you, my car, uh, my car had a suitcase full of parts and a good toolbox, a jug of Freon, uh, a torch. And when I left work at night, 
I'd say to a technician, hey, you want to make an extra 20 bucks an hour, let's go, we're going to go out work, work on some stuff, we go out and fix something, try cool. to figure out what the hell was wrong with something, one of our, yeah. you know, one of our gadgets. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. it to me, uh, and it still is yet to this day, I do this. I mean, I'm 82 years old, and uh, wow, I'm a wealthy person. I mean, I don't have to work. I don't, when I, whether I make money or not, I'm going to live the same. But this is so damn much fun. Yeah. And it's so challenging and so difficult. And uh, it's just like uh, a hole in one. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, what is it when you say this is fun and this is challenging, this is difficult? Well, what exactly is showing this? Showing people what the solution this? to this problem. Showing people there's, the solution. There's nothing. I mean, it's like solving a difficult puzzle. Mm-hmm. You ever get going on these puzzles and things because they're so hard and you fight them for hours. And you finally solve it. Yay! And you that's exactly right. You know the feeling I'm talking about? Yeah. You've solved mm-hmm. a difficult problem as a mind twister, and it was a good workout mentally, and you solved it, and you're doing damn well. Most other people ain't solving it. And uh, so uh, yeah. that's the kind of thing I really get a kick out of. That's yeah. So that, let, me, let me tell you a little story. Okay. Uh, and see how it hits you. So uh, here is a guy giving me a test. When I first started to work at the dairy equipment company, I was a product manager, which is pretty low on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had this expert come in and go through everybody. He said, uh, okay, we got this lake, big lake. He said, your job is to get this rope over to the other side of the lake. You can't swim across it and take it, but there's a way of doing it. You got all the rope you need. How are you going to do it? I tried all the obvious things. <laughs> no, around. I said, that's not it. Go home, think about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm at home laying in bed, and I'm thinking, I know what I do. I'm going to take, I want to go give you the solution. I'm not, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give you the solution, but I figured it out. And when I came back to work the next day, and he was still there doing interviewing, and I told him the solution, he went to my boss and said, hey, that guy's good. You, wow. you want to put him. You want to put him in a spot where he can do some problem solving for you, because nobody gets that one. Oh my gosh! What's the answer? That, huh? What's what, the answer? And that, and that was just dumb luck. You know what I mean? It was truly. But you know that's the kind of thing that trips my trigger. I just yeah. love that kind of stuff. Wait, wait, wait. What's the answer? No, no. Come on. You when you get it, you'll know, and you let me know. You know. Oh. Okay, same for you, listeners. What the hell? (laughs) I mean, I was going to tell you, but I'm thinking, I know you're going to have fun figuring it out. And when you figure it out, here, the reason I told you that story, (laughs) that's like, here, here, here's why I told you that. When you're talking to a bunch of HVAC contractors, we do, we do training. You know Andy Ask. Yeah, great guy. Andy Ask and I do training sessions for the Florida uh, Air Conditioning State. Contractors Association, yeah. we do training sessions. Florida ACCA. And we, uh, yeah, it's, like, it's Florida ACCA, that's right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when you turn the light on to a contractor who's been fighting a problem and trying to figure it out, and he sees it, he lights up just like that if he cares. And there ain't nothing like that. There yeah. ain't nothing like yeah. And people, they never, they never forget that. When they've been wrestling with a damp house, mold, drippy, condensation, Attic, wet, uh, whatever it is, and you show them the solution. They just they stand up. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times 
that people have come up to me and said, it's unbelievable. I've been trying this, figure it out. I've been talking to the manufacturer. They ain't got the answer. That's it. It's simple. You know, it's that simple. All you got to do is get the water out of the house, and when the air conditioner can't do it anymore, set it up so it'll do it. When the air conditioner can't do it, and it's a rainy day, it's a wet night, uh, you put a good dehumidifier in there properly. That's what is, there's nothing to this. Yeah, I love it. Isn't that, isn't that a hell of a, and, yeah. and that's why I do this. Yeah, And you know, I, I think I'll do this. I know that uh, my cohorts around me will do this the rest of their lives. You know, it's that difficult. Contractors come and go. How many really care? You know, it's a slow process. Yeah, I'm with you, Ken. I'll, I'll never stop doing this. But, you know, it's interesting from my perspective right now as an engineer in the industry designing these systems, um, I get arrows in my back. I mean, my most challenging peer relationship is with installers and they think I'm crazy. You know, and I have such respect for the importance of their role in our society, for the exertion and the discipline. Absolutely. But some, sometimes they argue for the past and energy code has just made all this harder. Better windows. Well, yeah. our, job, our job is to make this so simple that they can understand it. That's what our job is. So, Can you do that? Let's hear you do that. <laughs> I, I think I did it. it two, three times already. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I mean, you know, the idea that you can't get water out of a house unless you got a good cold coil. That coil is about two point of the air, and that yeah. coil has got to run, uh, you know, an air conditioning coil has got to run 30 degrees below the incoming air to it if you want 50% in your house. Yeah. That's, that's so the simple. numbers. I mean, we didn't talk about the numbers, but that's the number. And, and when the it shuts point? off, mm-hmm. when it shuts off, whatever's left on that coil is going back into that house. And you got to come after it with something else that's going to take it down the rest of the way where you want it. Yeah. What dew point do you want to keep the house? Do you uh, I don't, I don't want to keep the house at any particular dew point. I want to keep it at 50%. Well, it's a or, range, right? It's, it's yeah. Well, 50%, if you take 50% relative humidity at 75 and you got a fan, a little circulating fan in the ceiling, little old ladies are cold. They got to wear winter clothing. Yeah. With air moving at 75 and 50. You can go up to, uh, some people can uh, live at 78 and 50 or 45. So you're playing with that relative humidity thing. Now those dew points are all different. Generally, uh, in a home, you got to produce uh, air that the air you put in has got about to have a 50 degree dew point. 75 and 50 turns out to be a 55 degree dew point. Yeah. So if you can reduce that air five degrees in dew point, that'll take out this uh, three pounds of water a ton that we're talking about. Yeah. So I guess the, the, one of the key things I'm interested in uncovering is this the light bulb moment you make with the installers. And I, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about like, cause you've lived it, like let's look at the world or the industry, you know, the relationship with the, with the client from the eyes of the installer. And generally speaking, what they're asked for is how fast and how cheap can you get this done? And I don't really care. How much money can I make? Yeah, it, no, no, I don't mean the installer saying that. I mean the client hiring the installer says, oh, yeah, yeah. Low, just make low it bit. cheap. Why well, certainly, low bit, yeah. good training. So how do we get around that? Or like, what do you see as the pain points for installers and how do we address them? Specifically in the context of dehumidifying air quality. 
Well, I think I think the the installer has the same job that we have with him, and he has to take that message to the homeowner. Yeah. Uh, on HVAC talk, we get to deal with both of them. I I run across cust clients or customers on HVAC talk participants that care more about these issues than the contractor does. Wow. And understand them better. <laughs> give me a give me an engineer. You know, practicing engineer in any kind of business. You explain this to him, and hell, he knows it right away. He it's got it. It's all about load and capacity. Now he goes and lays that on the contractor. You can imagine what that guy's saying. If it's a, just a good uh, old contractor that uh, <laughs> he's just going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but every now and then they really score. In fact, that's my, my objective is. Tell me, the, the prospect on HVAC Talk says, well, give me a list of contractors. I say, no, no, you don't. You go get your contractor. You talk him into this. He put your air conditioner in. You show him how to do it, how to fix it, and how good it works. And uh, huh, Fascinating. Well, you know what? They're your best customer. That AC contractor, after he goes through that experience, his light bulb gets turned on real quick. Yeah. He figured it all out. And uh, no, most of them do, some of them don't. But you get the idea that as opposed to trying to find a, the minute you try to find a contractor who's done this and you call across town, I want you to come and put an ultra air in, that guy knows I'm gonna make some money in this job, the guy called me. You know, as opposed to I'm trying to sell you an air conditioner yeah. and I want you to add this dehumidifier to it, that's a much better price uh, point uh, and more practical for practical for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get a guy and tell him the story that he can have real humidity control and comfort, he can raise his temperature a little bit higher. He can turn his AC off when he leaves his house; it'll still be dry. He can leave his house set in Florida for three months with just a dehumidifier on it for ten, fifteen bucks a month. The house will not have a bit of mold right. compared to trying to run an air conditioner and end up with mold in your house anyway and spending two, three hundred dollars a month to run an air conditioner to do the job. Oh, the number well, of times I've heard of people keeping their house at 72 all season. Well, yeah, put a dehumidistat on it so when it goes over 50, it'll take it down to whatever. Yeah. I mean, you want to you fill the house walls with mold, do that. Uh, but you see, you see the idea here, these are all little philosophy issues of uh, how to communicate. This is so difficult. This is like learning to golf when you have no golf skills whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tell you me gotta really want to be any good at it. Yeah. And that's the same way being a contractor. I give these contractors all the credit in the world. They have figured out how to hire people, get equipment installed, collect the money, pay the, pay the uh, supplier, service the equipment, the people are reasonably happy. They may not still understand the finer points of installing an air conditioner, right. but they figured that part out at least, and that is a lot. That is a lot, yeah. That's a lot. So you yeah. got to respect them. Uh, they don't learn any more than they have to. I mean, they get their hands full anyway. Mm -hmm. And that, that includes everybody in the business. It includes the air conditioning engineers. We all got our hands full. Yeah, and, and if your hands are full and Ken Gehring says to you, hey, you need to learn some more, one of the reactions might be, BS, no I don't, shut up. <laughs> I'm your customer and I call you and I want you to take this out. 
or fix it. Now there's where you talk to the guy. Yeah. You got him where you want him. Yeah. That's that's the end user demanding performance. Now yeah. you've got an interested party on your hands. That AC guy, when you talk to him, he's willing to listen. The, yeah. smart, the smart AC guys will say to the uh, guy, where are you getting all this stuff from? Who's telling you all this? Or the end user says, you gotta, you got to get an HVAC talk. I mean, I just can't tell you the number of people. There is a way through HVAC talk that you can get to Teddy Bear. Uh, and people do it, and uh, I, mean, I, I have at least uh, oh, four or five conversations a week with That's end awesome. users and contractors that, uh, hey, get me to the bottom of this. I want to really understand what's going on here. Okay, anyway. so you got to unpack that briefly, Ken. So you said HVAC talk to get you to Teddy Bear. Who's Teddy Bear? I'm Teddy Bear. <laughs> How did that come up? It's my... Uh, uh, I wanted to use Grasshopper for my uh, my name. Grasshopper was taken. So I'm trying to figure out uh, what name could I use uh, so I my login name. So anyway, I'm the guy used to oh, the guys I used to have a bunch of salesmen working for me. And uh, the guys that I really chewed on the hardest called me Teddy Bear because they said I lacked guts. Oh, wow, I didn't have, really? Yeah, as they called me Teddy Bear because he's such an easygoing guy. I fixed that bunch. I fired every one of them. But uh, <laughs> I, that, that stuck with me. So I'm thinking, Teddy Bear, that's a good image. Yeah. So that's what I use. That's great. Okay, but I want to take you back, Teddy Bear, to what you just said about um, the customers are really where the power is in some sense. If the customers consistently well, yeah, yeah. care and ask for solutions that exist, then the installers will need to learn how to do them. But here's a weird thing about our world is that we, are, well, actually not a weird thing, a reality of the world today is that our attention is constrained. It's the bottleneck. There's so much that we could learn. And so we don't spend very much time, like <clears throat> anyone listening right now, just if you're in a house or indoors in an office, just look around, like there's the wall next to you, there's the floor below you, there's the ceiling above you. Where you actually are, what you're actually in, is this mass of air inside the home or the building. So this place where we live, air, is something that we somehow don't care about. But we'll care about Game of Thrones and Dungeons and Dragons. And like, I really feel like more and more humans need to be like, oh wait, I live in air, air is important, I need to talk to my air conditioning contractor to condition my air. Um, anyway, how do we get to the owners? How do we get to the, they find well, you. Well, you know, but, I described one way, and that is where uh, the owner owes the contractor $6,000 to put an air conditioner in and he ain't paying. He ain't paying because he's not happy. Okay, that's one way. Yeah. Another one is, hey, I got used to being comfortable in a house or I come from uh, Minnesota and I'm moving to Florida and I can't take this humidity, and when I air condition my house, I'm uncomfortable. Um, I'm sick in my house. You know, my mm, doctor says, I, uh, I have a problem. My house stinks. I want to get rid of it. Uh, like literally gra stinks. Has grandma, <laughs> grandma got uh, lung cancer and never smoked a day in her life, and nobody smoked around her. Uh, where'd that come from? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Indoor pollutants. We're building houses tighter and tighter. They're getting worse and worse. We're introducing more things 
that we have no idea what they really do. I mean, uh, it's like an indoor air quality meter that's going to tell me if my house air is healthy. We don't even know what the impact of all these things are, much less what they are and what the levels are that we can tolerate. Absolutely. We do know that the air in our house is outside air that came in with whatever what it had. It's moving through here real slow, and I'm adding stuff to it. And the faster I can get it through here, the lower the concentrations will be. Yeah. Okay, so we go to Ashway and people like this that say, you know, you ought to really change the air in your house about uh, once in three hours. Some other expert will say at least a minimum of once in five hours when the house is occupied. Uh, and that way, it's as good an air as, that's pretty good. An air change will get rid of 70% of the air in the house. So that's pretty good. It ain't going to be any better than outside. So I keep shoving it through. I add what I, what mm -hmm. I don't Indoor know pool, about. What you're producing indoors, of, yeah. And keep it through. Okay, now we do know some things. When it's wet outside, it's going to be wet inside. <laughs> Not only that, but I have my family in here, and we're all putting water in the air. Yeah. Is he going to be even wetter? Yeah, and we're cooking now, there's and another showering. Thing, yeah, exactly. As I slow that airflow down, the moisture gets higher because we're in here putting a given amount of moisture in. So having a good air change also gets rid of that, avoids that moisture buildup. Anytime the outside air is below a 50 degree dew point, that is enough to keep my house dry. Yep. Just like my air conditioner does. Yeah. I put 50 degree dew point in my house uh, uh, with an air conditioner, it's dry. I got a dehumidifier that puts 50 degree dew point in my house. Dehumidifiers do a little better than that. But anyway, yeah. my house is dry. Well, and if my house is wet, I'm going to have mold, mildew, and dust mites, and probably a lot of clingy stuff, you know, growing in the walls and whatever, yeah. under the rug, on the concrete, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a simple message. Why is it, you know, you and I have talked a long time. We finally got down to the heart of it. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, here we are. We finally got here, and it took us a half hour or whatever. Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned earlier, and this will be probably toward our last topics, so we'll kind of converge here, but you mentioned about infiltration, you know, accomplishing ventilation. And I want to just underscore something you said very briefly, which is that infiltration as ventilation is inconsistent, unreliable, insufficient, right? It's uh, ventilate when needed, keep it dry. When it gets too dry inside, figure out how to add a little moisture. You wanna mm -hmm. have 40, 50%, mm -hmm. 35, 40, 55 in there someplace percent relative humidity, uh, add or take out whatever you need. Oh, I know, here was the other one. Uh, Exhaust devices, your clothes dryer, your kitchen yeah, hood, yeah. your bath fans, they need makeup air too, you know. So uh, I think that uh, in most cases, makeup air ventilation is the way to go. You can filter it all, you can put a positive pressure on your house. When you're bringing in the right amount of air, it has an impact on how much air comes into your house. Many homes, when you bring in, especially in calm weather, when you bring in 100 CFM, there is no infiltration. That house is pressurized enough that nothing's coming in that isn't filtered and conditioned. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so and and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost you nothing. I mean, you know, you stopped it. 
-hmm. where if you had had a balanced flow ventilation, that's a little contrary to some of the key things here. I mean, energy conservation dictates ERVs, HRVs, but there are many climates where it doesn't pay. Now you're in extreme cold, uh, extreme humid, and you have a lot of ventilation 24-7. HRV and HRV, ERV, that's the place for them. But if not, the house is occupied 50% of the time or less. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can make a case in a green grass climate for ERV or HRV. When you consider the exhaust needs, the wind effect, the lack of occupancy 100%. You know, it all plays, you gotta figure it all out. Yeah, and we could spend some time parsing that statement out because there's lots of, it depends. Just to put it in a simple-minded terms, like, you know, here we are, I got this iPhone here recording us you know, this is a very sophisticated piece of technology. Why not err to the side of caution and put a ERV or an HRV on a house? Like, even if it's not needed all the time, at least it's standard protocol, standard approach. Uh, be my guest. I mean, that 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 is what everybody decides. I've sold I've sold thousands of e, of HRVs and ERVs. Yeah, you, I get it. You, not all cases. It's not the solution for all cases all the time. Moisture is the bigger problem of all the problems than the rest of this. You know, here, here's another point. You go ahead and put your HRV in, your ERV, then make sure you get your dehumidifier in there if you're in a wet climate. Oh, damn straight. Okay. Can I say damn on the podcast, Miguel? I think I can. Damn's okay. Yeah. I mean, because like, I, what I say to people so many times is the motive force for an ERV is a cool and dry air mass. Unless I have that, there's no ERVing. <laughs> okay, but wait, so here we go. Codes, so energy next, codes. Next point. Yeah, it's, it's just that this, it's like going back to our, our um, you know, heartfelt connection to the HVAC installer industry and the challenges of it is like, it's hard enough. And now starting in 2006, big time 2009, 12, 15, we have better air sealing, better windows, you know, better, more insulation. So fundamentally we're saying your air conditioning, your air cooling system runs less, but the installing contractor walks up, the home physically looks the same. So you have this difficult invisible issue to begin with that because of the energy code change becomes more impactful, more challenging, more necessary. Uh, any comments on that? I, are you hitting at the point that most air conditioners are grossly oversized? Is that the issue? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that the home is a system and that it actually got more complicated for installing contractors fundamentally because relying on traditional practices is even less there, there, There's enough stuff out there now that a properly trained contractor should not be oversizing equipment anymore. I mean, slightly oversizing Certainly with the threat of uh, global warming and occasional higher than uh, right. design conditions. Uh, I got uh, five people over and I'm really embarrassed. They're in my house and we're sweating and oversizing a little. Yeah, you, you don't want to oversize an air conditioner, but keep in mind, an undersized air conditioner will not keep a house dry either. It is a little drier as it works its way down into the oversized condition. All air conditioners are no, oversized every night. The capacity night. just isn't there. Yeah, and so it doesn't solve the problem. You can stick a dehumidifier onto an oversized air conditioner that's set up right to take out water down to that 50 degree dew point, uh, and you'll survive and do nicely. You won't even know 
your air conditioner oversized. Where an oversized air conditioner by itself will run higher humidity without a dehumidifier in that on-off cycling mode. I, I hear you. Those big, those big coils keep dumping that water back. Uh, mm -hmm. Now here's another little issue that I'm becoming more and more convinced about is that a home should have constant slow air circulation throughout the day. But not an HRV or an ERV. Well, I don't care. No, I don't care. You, you do what you want to do. Just deal with it. I mean, in 10 years, it's going to be shot. You ain't going to replace it. Uh, but uh, And if it needs some service in between, you'll never know it. But yeah, you'd be my guest. I don't care about that. If I tell you what, if people would make the investment, if they would spend the $3,000 on the uh, dehumidifier and the $3,000 on the HRV and ERV, I'd like to supply them both. You know, I'd love yeah. to make, I'd love to make an HRV or an ERV if people buy them, but they won't. And you can't justify it money-wise. You can't justify it health-wise. I mean, you know what it costs. Oh, to come on, make it. I, I can help sell it. Let me give you <laughs> the best argument. It costs three hundred and sixty bucks a year for a typical house to heat and cool the air that mm -hmm. comes in through a HRV or an ERV. Three hundred fifty bucks a year. Run it twenty-four-seven. If I run it half time, it's half that. And I got to have a dehumidifier anyway. How much money you want to spend on an HRV or an ERV? Be my right. guest. I don't care. I, I mean, my brother builds his house. I said, Bob, don't forget you got to have a dehumidifier. It's going to be a nice house. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I come, he shows it. I said, Where's your dehumidifier? Oh, he said, I got a carrier green speed. My contractor said, I don't need one. Yeah, I said, really? a thousand times. Yeah, let's go to the basement. I said, what's this room going to be? He said, it's going to be my library. I said, yeah, I just happen to have my humidity meter here. And uh, he's got it set for 50%. Well, it's running 65% in his library. Right. You know, and it's, it is a fairly warm day. He's got an ERV on the house. The contractor said, that's all you're going to need. I said, here it is. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I got a dehumidifier in there, and he loves it. it the dehumidifier went to hell. This is, a, I got him an old used dehumidifier, of course, you know, cheap, off the junk wagon. And uh, it went to hell. Ken, you got to get over here. My library, my library <laughs> books are getting big. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, the number of times, man, like I'll be talking to installing contractors and explaining kind of the rules and the logic, and they'll go, where do you get this shit? Excuse me, where do you get this stuff? And um, I'm like, um, your industry trade group, ACA, you know, I think of you know, guys like Wes Davis are probably just like pounding their head against the wall. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you know, here in Texas, like I've gone to many ACA meetings and they resist energy code changes. They resist. Oh, man. You know, I thought that's where you were headed was that, you know, these energy codes are going to get up with these guys. It's like Florida ain't got the guts to really make it every year they're going to make it code now because we just had 200 houses in one subdivision where the ceilings all got black Yikes. and the mold is growing everywhere now we're going to make this code that you have to have uh fresh air and a dehumidifier we're going to make code well then they get down to doing it well now it's this and that and we suggest it you know by the way we suggest that you ought to consider it. Oh, yeah. It's not code. But it will be code. And then, of course, when it is code, then it's going to be like, uh, 
the cheapest piece of junk you can put on that says dehumidifier will be the dehumidifier. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we had anyway. a thing here in well, here in, in a, some city in central Texas near where I live, where the municipality tried to enforce um, doing manual J calculations for sizing, and there was a several series of meetings with the installing contractors. They went nuts. The level of vitriol, like literal yelling. I mean, it was the amount of aggression that came out. It was just profound. And it's like, wait, wait. So. How else do you figure out how big this is? Do you just guess every time? And fundamentally, yes. Uh, no, it's based on experience, which is not bad. I mean, the, the skilled guy, he looks at an air conditioner, he'll come out, he'll come out pretty good. And if he don't, he'll pay the price. Wait, he'll wait, put, a so put that in. in the context of energy code changes, Ken. The home looks the same, but it could use a third less energy. Oh, yes. That's a challenge. That's a riddle. But they're, they're getting burned on that, and they come to it one way or the other. So you believe in the market. It'll, it'll recover. It'll, uh... Oh, yeah, the market. No, that's how you really teach them. They, they, uh, you burn their fingers and their toes, and uh, they come and make the changes to, to get by. They do minimum, if they're bur if they, but if they still have burns on their appendages, they uh, <laughs> checkbook. My very last topic, we, we covered codes. I want to follow into um, not just carrier green speed, but you know these humidistats, these humidistat controllers. Probably once a week I hear from an installer or a client that was just told they're not needed. Um, excuse me, dehumidifier is not needed because I have humidistat. Tell me about that, please. Well, the, uh, the guts of it is that we're going to overcool the house and get water out. And you know, if we could take an air conditioner and turn it on and run it hard for an hour, it's, it works. It'll take out three pounds of water a ton, and you may not even be an hour, uh, and you'll have that house down to 50%. And you can do that, but it takes reheat. Mm -hmm. You know, go, to, go if you got an electric oven, go turn the oven on. <laughs> it's an expensive process. Right. Uh, Running an air conditioner and adding reheat gets you to about uh, a kilowatt for a pound of uh, dehumidification at best. And if you got to take out 50 pounds of water uh, in the off cycle, that's going to be five bucks a day to do it with reheat. Yeah. So, uh, but reheat works. But you see here, imagine this. I turn my air conditioner on. I overcool. I'm going to overcool now. Yeah. And they the stats, they've gotten smart enough that they only let them overcool three degrees now because they don't want mold growing on the back side of the drywall and on the attic side of the drywall and leaching through black. Yeah. You know, they got it. So they limit it to three degrees. Okay. So you turn the stat down as low as you can. How long does it take? The house is cool. It's got a short cooling cycle. How long does it take to drop the house uh, temperature three degrees? Oh, oh, it takes maybe 10 minutes uh, <laughs> or so, okay. In 10 minutes, what happens? 10 minutes is about the time it takes to get the coil full to enough drip. of water mm -hmm. that it'll start dripping to the pan. Okay, now we shut off the air conditioner and we're hung with three pounds of water on a coil yeah. that's slowly gonna evaporate back into the house over the next hour and a half. Especially if the fan stays on on a timer, yeah. Now, as the house keeps going up in humidity, overcooling three degrees finally puts water down the drain because the coil loads up so fast.
the, the higher the water content of the air, the more water that takes out and finally down drain. But the house is sitting there running at 65% or 60%. Yeah. So uh, that works to a degree. No, uh, it doesn't work if it keeps the well, house at 65%. I mean, it did take water out of the house and it will lower the humidity from 75 to 65 or something. But if there's no cooling load, if it's night, how does that work? You'll get used to it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Not everybody's sensitive to dust mites. And this this uh, uh, locker bag, it. this uh, this uh, syndrome, odor syndrome. What did you call that? Sick building Sick syndrome. No, no, no. It's the one there. The oh no, dirty sock. Dirty, dirty sock. socks. Dirty socks. Those dirty socks. You get used to that too. Yeah. Come yeah, on, you're cool. Yeah. You know, try try it without air conditioning once. You'll be, you'll live with it. Yeah. Or you'll finally and, say to your contractor, or get on the internet, and go HVAC talk, and some damn fool will. Pipe up and tell you, you know, I got about 10 years of posting on uh, on HVAC talk, and I probably got 10,000 posts that all just pivot around this, around there on it. And the guys get on there and they go searching back off into the stream. And if they buy it, you know, they uh, the problem is that people go and fix their houses this way, and they'll come back. We plead with them, come back and tell us how it worked. And enough of them come back that uh, you get over the idea of somebody just trying to con you into a dehumidifier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure that it's just people trying to con you, but it, it has something to do, and I mean this in a kind of poignant way, with the average training cycle for an installing contractor, which comes somewhat from their peers, somewhat from the supply house, which means it comes right from the manufacturers. So it's as though you have someone at Carrier saying, I can't sell my carrier equipment with humidistat feature unless I obviate the need for a dehumidifier, right? Like they're not going to buy let, both. Let me tell you a little story. Next door to our carrier distributor here in Madison, Wisconsin, I got a, I got a guy that has allergy problems. And anyway, he calls me up and I go out and look at his house. Yeah, he says, you know, the carrier distributor, he had a carrier. The carrier distributor is my next door neighbor. I said, no kidding. Okay, so we put it in. Uh, the carrier distributor calls me. He said, Ken, you did my neighbor's house. I can't believe how good that works. I want to sell your stuff. This is 15 years. Whoa, awesome. I want to sell your stuff. I go over there, and he's a hell of a nice guy. He's a businessman, though. He's not a contractor. So anyway, I sit down with him. I give it to him. He said, oh, this is unbelievable. I mean, he, he knew enough about it that in a, in a half hour, he was done. We had to get on with this. So he said, okay, my sales manager's not in here, but I'm gonna meet with him. I want you to come back. I want you to train. We'll do it, we'll do it. Okay, he calls me back, he said, Ken, I got bad news. He said, my sales manager told me there is no way in hell he can sell air conditioners if he's gotta tell the people they're gonna need a dehumidifier to be comfortable with them. You gotta take, we cannot do that. Get it? Sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness and he, he did not go ahead with it. He did not. He would sell one once in a while if somebody got him in the corner because he knew it worked. You know, if it yeah. got down to where, hey, I'm suing you or I want you to take it back out, then he'd go out. I mean, I've had contractors actually wow. put in a free dehumidifier to save the deal. You know what I mean? Wow. That's a very powerful story. Oh, it's That's... a power. And I, I found that out working with uh, uh, Train and, uh, you know, we, we build a unit for Train. We built, a, we built a unit for Goodman. These guys are very resistant to bring this up.
because it's the admission of weakness, and he who admits it. The other guy says, I don't have no problem. I don't get no complaints. Why would I buy a dehumidifier? Right, Something right, wrong. Right. So the whole the whole industry needs to take this step forward in unison. Well, I mean, uh, admit to the limitation. And you know, there are weather conditions in houses yeah. that uh, will survive uh, without a dehumidifier. I mean, I've seen them. Uh, they're, you know, they're high, they're dry, they got a lot of sun load in them. Two occupants, big house, air conditioner really takes out water and gets it dry enough that it'll hold during the uh, during the wet time. You know what I mean? So you get the idea. Not everybody's got to have one, but most do in a green grass climate. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that, that might be a good place to wrap it up because, you know, from a personal experience, you know, I was quote unquote selling designing systems with dehumidifiers long before I got one in my house. Holy moly, my wife and I are true believers. Our, our, it smells different, our towels dry. Well, Ken Gehring, I am so grateful that you took the time to share your thoughts and wisdom with us. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? Hey, I had a hell of a good time. Thank you. Yeah, me too. We'll talk again soon, and thank you all for listening. Yeah, good luck on Take it all, care, and if anybody uh, anybody's interested, Teddy Bear, HVAC Talk, you yeah, can communicate you with me, and I'll go right back at you and just say something stupid. You'll get something out of me. <laughs> okay, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Ken. <laughs>